Well, faith family, um, I got a question for you. Do you remember the moment that you gave your life to Christ? Maybe for some of you, it was at a young age, at a vacation Bible school. Maybe as a teenager at camp or at the kitchen table. Maybe it was at a church in which an invitation was given and you walked forward and you met someone and they shared the gospel with you and you gave your life to Christ. Do you remember that feeling that you were finally forgiven? Did, do you remember that feeling of just the overwhelming joy that you were in a personal relationship with God? That your life had been changed forever through this encounter with Jesus? In 1654, Blaise Pascal, the great philosopher and mathematician, was at home alone reading his Bible. And it was there that God opened his heart to the gospel and he believed upon Jesus. It was in that moment that he began to describe that moment as fire, certainty. And he experienced the feeling of joy and peace. He was so transformed by the gospel that he wrote out his story and sewed it on the inside of his coat pocket. So he would always remind himself of the gospel that had saved him. Well, right now, across Belizean citrus fields, across the rice fields of China, throughout African savannas, Throughout the roadsides of Europe and the factories of South America, right now, men and women and boys and girls are coming to faith in Christ. God is on the move, bringing people into the kingdom through faith in his son, Jesus. And as they are experiencing the power of the gospel, their hearts and their lives are full of joy. Well, as we saw last week in Acts chapter 8, and as we're going to see again today, we see where the gospel impacts the life of a guy from Ethiopia. And when he experiences the gospel and he gets baptized underwater, he returns home full of joy. Let me show you. Grab your Bible and turn with me to Acts chapter 8. We're going through the book of Acts together as a faith family and seeing how what began in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago continues to march forward to the four corners of the earth. That indeed the gospel that planted and started the church in Acts chapter 2 is now moving and expanding and God is using persecution as a catalyst to move the gospel outward. It's a move of the Spirit and in which He is working, drawing people to faith in His Son and to the Lord Jesus Christ. We saw last week how Philip left a thriving work in Samaria where he's seeing thousands upon thousands of people coming to faith in Christ and God calls him away from this tremendous work and calls him to go down south to the road towards Gaza all for the sake of one man. Not sure of what lies ahead of him, he encounters this Ethiopian and his life is changed forever. And then we see where the gospel now is headed towards the continent of Africa. This is where we see it happening. Acts chapter 8, beginning with verse 26. And the scripture says this. An angel of the Lord spoke to Philip. Get up and go south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is the desert road. So he got up and went. 
There was an Ethiopian man, a eunuch and high official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of her entire treasury. He had come to worship in Jerusalem and was sitting in his chariot on his way home, reading the prophet Isaiah aloud. The spirit told Philip, go and join that chariot. Then Philip ran up to it. He heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you're reading? How can I, he said, unless someone guides me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the scripture passage he was reading was this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb is silent before its shear, so he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who will describe his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. The eunuch said to Philip, I ask you, who is this prophet saying this about? Himself or someone else? Philip proceeded to tell him the good news about Jesus, beginning with that scripture. As they were traveling down the road, they came to some water. The eunuch said, look, there's water. What would keep me from being baptized? So he ordered the chariot to stop. And both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and he baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch did not see him any longer, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip appeared in Azotus and he was traveling and preaching the gospel in all the towns until he came to Caesarea. In his trip down south, Philip encounters this eunuch, a high-ranking minister of finance to the queen of Ethiopia, and he points this man to the gospel. The Lord used Philip to impact this man for Jesus. Last week, we studied the perspective of Philip's rapid obedience and how he went about sharing the gospel. For the sake of this morning, I want us to take some time to look at the response of this man from Ethiopia. We, we see this man, we see how he experienced salvation, and I want us to see how it lays out for us the principles for how we come to faith in Christ. I want you to notice in the text that first, we experience salvation by first seeking God. By seeking God. This man from Ethiopia is seeking. Now, he's from Ethiopia. He's not a, a, a naturalized uh, Jew. He has converted to Judaism at some point. He makes this long trip to Jerusalem to go to the temple for worship. And yet we have to keep in mind that according to the law of Moses, that uh, those who are eunuchs are forbidden to go into the temple. But he still wanted to go anyway. So he had a heart for worship. So he makes this estimated 1,500-mile trip to Jerusalem. And this, this, this is a long way to travel in order to worship the Lord, but he is seeking him. But before we get too far down the road and celebrate the seeking of this Ethiopian, we've got to remember, God is the one who seeks us first. God is the one who makes the first move towards man. God is the one who came after you first. We see this back in the beginning of Genesis chapter 3, that when Adam sinned in the garden, what did he do? He went into hiding. God came seeking him. Adam, where are you? You see, God is the one who seeks after us first. We don't seek after him. In fact, Scripture says that in our fallen nature, we don't seek God at all. Paul says in Romans 3, there is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. And the same is true for you. You did not seek God first. 
God came seeking after you. You see, you were born, though physically alive, you were born spiritually dead. Paul says in Ephesians 2.1 that we were dead in our sins and trespasses. Dead people can't seek. Dead people can't pursue. We were spiritually dead. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love for us, he came seeking us. He's the one who makes us alive. God came seeking after you. He took the initiative because on our own, we would never seek him. Jesus said it like this in John 6, 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Beloved, you got to remember, God saved you. God rescued you. God pursued you. God came running after you, even when you were not looking for him. Several years ago, Christy and I took our children to a water park And while we were there, one of our children went missing. It's that terrible feeling as a parent. We we turned around and then quite literally in a moment, he was gone. And so in a panic, Christy and I are are, are searching high and low throughout this water park. We go to the the leadership and the managers and said, hey, we need help. Our son is lost. And so they start out a search party. We're walking, we're, we're surveying, we're looking everywhere. And about an hour later, This little blessing from God (laughs) came moseying up out of the lazy river. Have you ever wanted to hug and strangle someone at the same time? What he didn't know was that when he's apart from me, he's in danger. He is physically, his life is in danger. Someone could take him, he could get hurt, he could drown. There's all kinds of things that could happen when he's apart from me. But when he was apart from me, I came pursuing after him. And in an infinitely greater way, you and I are out living our best life, doing what we want to do, having no idea of God, not wanting anything to do with him, but he comes seeking after us. He knows the danger that you are in apart from a relationship with him. He knows of the eternal destruction that is ahead of everybody who does not trust in his son, Jesus. And so God came seeking after you. He came pursuing after you. He loved you first, and he loves you so much that even while you were still a sinner, even when you were still shaking your fist in his face, even when you wanted nothing to do with him, he still loved you. And he pursued you with an everlasting, perfect love. He is a God who comes after you. He is a God who pursues those who are lost. He has a heart for the people who are broken and separated from him and from him. And he pursues after those who are far from him. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that he would take us, former rebels, people uninterested, enemies of God, and he makes us friends. He makes us children. He calls us into his kingdom. He adopts us as his sons and daughters. This is a God who has a heart for people who are lost and broken. Maybe you're here today or engaging online. You're sitting here thinking, I'm lost. I'm broken. I've made so many bad decisions. I have sinned so much. May I say to you, Jesus' blood is greater than your sin. You are so loved by God that he has come running after you and he has pursued you in the gospel and that through the death of Christ, God has made a way for you to come to him. You don't have to have makeup on or have a highlight reel of your best moments for God to love you. He sees you at your worst 
and he still loves you. He sees those moments in which you want nothing to do with him and his heart just beats for you. Out of his own grace, he treasures you and delights in you. How does it feel to know that God pursues you even when you're at your worst? It feels like grace. It feels like, my goodness, I don't deserve this love. You see, heaven is full of people who know they don't deserve to be there. But God came looking for us. He came searching for us. And he has come searching and seeking after you. Here is this eunuch. He's seeking. He's traveled by chariot for hundreds and hundreds of miles just so he could worship. The good news is you don't have to go do that. You don't have to go travel hundreds and thousands of miles in order to go and encounter God. No pilgrimage is necessary. No religious works are required. You simply repent and believe the gospel. You turn from your sin and you trust in Christ. What's happening in Acts chapter 8 is God is wooing him. He is calling him. He is drawing him to the gospel. Well, Kenneth, how do we know this? Well, he's gone a long way to worship in Jerusalem, but he has an open Bible in his lap. Look at verse 28. He was reading the prophet Isaiah aloud. This man is studying scripture on his own, trying to decipher the meaning of the text. This man is seeking the Lord through his word and God is on his trail. God is pursuing him. There's a a man in my neighborhood who is living a life of depression and um, anxiety, um, a lot of stress in his life. And he has these panic attacks in which he'll come over to my house and we'll hang out in my driveway and talk. We'll we'll go on some walks just so I can kind of walk him through it and we walk through the Word. And He texted me on Friday and said, hey, what book of the Bible would you recommend for me to start reading the Bible? Where should I start? And I thought to myself, this guy is just like the Ethiopian. God's pursuing him. He's seeking God because God is seeking him. God is on his trail. God is pursuing him. And for you, when you came to faith in Christ, it wasn't because you came looking for God. It's because God was already working on your heart. He was drawing you to himself. He loved you so much that he was in hot pursuit of drawing you and calling you to himself in the gospel. And the good news is you don't have to go to Jerusalem. You don't have to make this pilgrimage in order to encounter God. You can do it right here and now. That you can call out to Jesus and he can come into your life right where you sit. And he will come into your life and he will change you the moment you believe the gospel. You don't got to clean yourself up and come to Christ. Come to Christ and he will clean you up. You trust in Jesus and he will receive you. He's fully aware of your brokenness, fully aware of all the ways that you've broken his law, fully aware of all the ways that you've turned your back on him and yet he still loves you and he is seeking after you and so now you go seeking after him. What did Jesus say in Luke 19? For the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus has come seeking you. And he's here to find you. When you surrender and you submit, you humble yourself and you give your life to him. In fact, that's the second part 
that we see happening here is that you open up our hearts and lives. There's this opening up. As this man is seeking the Lord, he's hungry for the truth. He's teachable, right? Verse 31, he's wanting to know the who of Isaiah 53. So he invites his hitchhiker, Philip the Evangelist, to hop up in his chariot. And he's this open heart. He's eager to understand the, the instruction of the word, right? This, this reminds me of, of Jeremiah 29, 13, where the Lord says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Question, do you have an open heart? Do you have a heart that is seeking hard after the Lord? Do you have a teachable spirit towards the word? When the word of God is brought to bear, are you eager? Are you, are you leaning forward? Okay, in, in high school, I played basketball for a couple of years. I wasn't very good. But I wanted so badly to get in the game. And I would sit on the edge of my seat, eager for an opportunity to get in the game. And I say to you, when we are followers of Jesus and we gather together around the word, may we sit on the edge of our seat saying, oh God, teach me, open my heart, help me to see and experience you. I don't want to miss what you have for me. Oh, that we would be a people who love the word, where our hearts are open to the word. When you're studying the word, do you take time to study and examine or do you just scroll through Facebook? When you come and you want to start writing down notes, are you just diligent about what God is teaching you or do you begin writing out your grocery list? When we gather on Sunday mornings, do you, have you prayed before you've gotten here, God, give me an open heart. Prepare my heart. Prepare the hearts of our entire church. Saturday night, man, you're ready. To, man, you're getting clothes laid out. You're, you're preparing because Sunday morning is a Saturday night decision. And Saturday night, you're not only getting your stuff physically ready with clothes and food and all that, but you're spiritually saying, God, get my heart ready. I want to encounter you. I want to hear the word. I want to be more like Christ. I want to fall more in love with you. And as you, the, you seek the Lord, he gives you a deeper desire for his word. It's an ever-increasing desire. So the question is, is your heart good soil for the seed of the word? That when the word of God is brought to bear, it falls upon good soil. It's essential that you and I, we, we discipline our minds to be, make sure that we are leaning into what God has to say for us. We're not distracted by schedules or sleepiness or worries of what's happening in our lives. We have to be diligent to protect the soil of our hearts. And all that we would be a church that roots itself in the word, that we find the, the cotton candy of Christian cliches tasting bitter. We want the pure milk of the word. We want to fall in love with the word of God because we know the God of the word. And his word nourishes our soul. That we would cultivate an appetite for sound doctrine and for truth as we open up our hearts and our lives to his word. James says it like this in James 1.21. He says, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. You see, repentance is God's kindness towards you. And so we throw off the sin that so easily entangles me and you. We get rid of it. We cut it off. We, we say no to sin and we pursue Christ and we humbly receive the word that's planted deep within us that can save us from sin and death and hell and the grave. 
As this Ethiopian man invites Philip up into the chariot, he's opening up his heart. He's opening up his life because he's eager to know the who of Isaiah 53. And he is opening up and he is inviting the good news of the gospel into his life. Jesus said it like this in Revelation chapter 3. He says, see, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. If today you're not a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, oh, that today you would open up your heart. You would invite Jesus to come into your life. You'd be willing to turn away from sin and trust in him by faith, and he will come into your life, and he will stay there permanently. You see, you have to believe the gospel, which is the third thing that happens here in the text. It's believing the gospel. You seek God you open your heart and your life, and you believe the gospel. As Isaiah 53 was read, all these questions are swirling in the heart of this Ethiopian man. Who is the sheep to the slaughter? Who is that he does not open his mouth? Who is humiliated? Who is denied justice? Whose life was taken from the earth? And Philip tells him, verse 35, it's Jesus. Jesus was the slaughtered sheep. Jesus was humiliated. Jesus was denied justice. Jesus had his life taken from him. And using Isaiah 53, Philip is modeling for you and modeling for me how we are to interpret Scripture. That when we study the Bibles, we see it through the lens of Christ. That as we're studying Acts 8, we're seeing how you and I are to study and interpret the Word. You see, every word Every sentence, every paragraph, every chapter, every book is driving you to Jesus. Just as all roads lead to Rome, all scripture leads to the great metropolis, which is Christ. When we study the scriptures, it's driving us to Jesus. When we study our word, we're not looking to see, okay, how great am I? No, 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 no. It's driving us to how great is Jesus? It's driving us to him. The Bible is a hymn book. It's all about him. And here is Philip using Isaiah 53, an Old Testament text, to preach the gospel. Jesus told the Pharisees in John 5, 39, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is these that bear witness to me. In John 5, 46, he goes on to say, If you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. After his resurrection, Jesus is on the road to Emmaus, and he's walking alongside these two guys who are discussing amongst themselves everything that had happened that weekend. They're baffled. Because they, they had known about Jesus and how he came and he died, but then he rose again and they're discussing it. And Jesus walks up on their conversation and they're like, he's like, what are y'all talking about? And they're like, what are we talking about? Where have you been? There's nothing else to talk about. At this, this savior who claimed to be the, the Messiah, this, this Jesus, he, he died. And, and now people are saying he's risen, risen from the dead. And we just, we just, we're blown away by this. They're, they're, they're in utter shock, not realizing that they're talking to Jesus. And then Jesus seizes this moment as the greatest small group ever in Luke 24, this moment where he says, in beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. 
You see, for all the promises of God, they find their yes and amen in Jesus. When we read the scriptures, they're driving us to the person and work of Christ. Philip does not give this Ethiopian man a laundry list of to-dos. He doesn't tell him all these religious actions and works that he has to go and accomplish, be made right with God. He preaches Christ. He interprets the scripture and does not focus on morality. He doesn't talk about do's and don'ts. You see, God has not called us to be good. God has called us to Christ. God is not calling you to morality. He's calling you to his son. And here is Philip giving this man an invitation to believe the gospel. And he's not calling him to religious works. He's calling him to repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what God is calling him to do, is to preach Christ. He brings Christ into the heart of this man. Christy and I have had opportunities to go into different parts of the world, and, which has been pretty amazing. And, and sometimes in different parts of the world, I get opportunities to preach at various churches. And in many, not all, but in many of the churches I've gotten to preach at, they have this plaque on the pulpit that the congregation can't see. Only the preacher can see. And it's one of those things where I'm like, man, this is a humbling statement. But I've seen it in Africa. I've seen it in Belize. I've seen it in different parts of here in America and other parts of the world. And I just, I'm like, okay, there it is. And that plaque, it's the same in all of these places. And it comes from John 12, 21. And it says these words, five words. We want to see Jesus. It's a reminder to the preacher We're not interested in you. We don't want your entertainment. We don't want your humor. We don't want your funny stories. We want Jesus. Give us Jesus. And that's what Philip's doing here in the text. We see here, and he's taking Isaiah 53, and he's using it as a springboard to jump into the deep pool of the gospel at which he's pointing to Christ. He's driving them to Jesus. And here we are on the doorstep of Christmas. And you and I are on the brink of celebrating the arrival of Christ, the birth of Jesus. What better way to begin the Christmas season by giving your life to Christ, by surrendering your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Just as Philip is leading this Ethiopian to Jesus, oh, that today you would open up your heart and your life and you would say yes to Jesus. In which you would say, today I'm turning away from sin. I'm turning away from my past. I'm cutting off all the things that kept me away from God and I'm ready to follow Jesus. You're saying, listen, there's all these things I can go pursuing after. No, 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 no. I need Christ. I want Jesus as central in my heart and in my life. And the next step that this Ethiopian takes is baptism. See what the text says? He says, look, there's water. What's keeping me from being baptized? And the answer is nothing. So Philip takes him, they go down into the water, and he baptizes him. And you'd be asking, what about me? What's keeping me from being baptized? And the answer is nothing. What we're going to do at the close of the service is that at the end of the service, we're going to have an invitation. We're going to stand together and sing, and I'm going to invite you to accept Christ. If you're here today and you've never put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we want today to be the day of salvation in which you publicly declare your faith in Christ. Maybe the next step for you to take is to get baptized, and you want to get in the water. That's awesome. We have shorts and T-shirts. We have towels and hair dryers. No excuses. 
And we want to give you the opportunity to respond to the Lord in baptism. And at the close of the service, we'll have someone who will sit down. They want to hear from you your story of how you've put your faith in Christ. And if today you want to get baptized, we'll make that happen. At the beginning of the next service, just as we got to do in this service, we already started to see three baptisms, which was awesome. We're going to do it again next week. We already got more baptisms scheduled for next service. We're going to invite you to come to that next service. And we'll baptize you in the next service. Why? We want to give you the opportunity to respond to the gospel. Just as there was spontaneous obedience, this rapid obedience we see of this Ethiopian, we want to offer it to you. Maybe you've been a follower of Jesus for a long time, but you're ready to take that next step of being baptized. You've not been baptized yet. Take this opportunity. Even as I'm preaching, would you be praying? Say, God, is this something that you're stirring within my heart to do? God, do you want me to take this next step of obedience? And we want to give you that opportunity. Because when you get in that water, the water doesn't save you. The water is a picture of what Christ has already done. He's washed you. He's made you clean. All of your sins are forgiven and washed away. That's what Christ has done through the cross. He's made a way through his shed blood for you to come to God. And when you get in that water, you're declaring, I've already put my faith in Christ, but I'm wanting the world to know I'm following him. That's what Philip is doing with this Ethiopian. He's obeying the Lord through baptism, and we want to give you the opportunity. So at the close of the service, we give an invitation. We'll have the staff here at the front here in a few moments, and we're going to give you the opportunity to come forward and say, I'm ready to get baptized. We're not going to do anything silly. We're not going to do a bait and switch. It's nothing like that. We don't want to embarrass anybody. We want to encourage you and help you take that next step. Our staff will take you to the side. They want to hear your story of how you put your faith in Christ. And then they're going to get you into the water in the beginning of the next service, and we're going to get you baptized. You see, baptism is the next step of obedience for those who follow the Lord Jesus Christ, those who trust in Him. I want you to know that this is the salvation that God has offered to all. You don't think, you have, man, my life's messed up. Well, you're a perfect candidate for grace. You may be thinking, man, I've got so many things that just... I've done and I've said, oh, the power of God's mercy, that though your sin and my sin is great, his mercy is more. His grace is greater. His blood is sufficient. Jesus died to cover all of your sin. If you will turn from sin and trust in him by faith, he will receive you. And you know what it leads to? It's the fourth thing. It's living a life of joy. The Ethiopian man went home rejoicing. He's headed back to Africa full of joy. He has this overwhelming feeling of satisfaction in his soul produced by the Holy Spirit because he is beholding the beauty and the power of Jesus. His life has just been changed by Christ and he is bounding home. He is beaming with joy. His life has been radically changed by Christ. If you're a believer, have you lost your joy? Is there a lack of true inner happiness that comes from Jesus within you that you've just lost? You see, oftentimes sin steals our joy first. When you take your eyes off of Jesus, that's when you begin to lose your joy. That's what happened to David. When he committed adultery with Bathsheba, we see in Psalm 51, his, his psalm in which he's confessing his sin and seeking God's forgiveness and mercy for his sin. What does he pray in Psalm 51, 12? Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Have you lost your joy? Fix your eyes on Jesus. 
In fact, this is the impact point in which I'm calling our church to today. It's respond to the gospel and live a life full of joy. This is what God offers you in the gospel, to turn from sin and to trust in him. And God offers you joy when you trust in him. So do you remember that moment you gave your life to Christ? That feeling of joy and peace and purpose where God just changed everything about you. You realized you're a new creation. This week, this week I was reading a story about a man from England who had recently come to faith in Christ. And he said this, I cried out in despair to Jesus Christ to save me. And he really came to me. I felt actual love, real love. I can't describe it. It was pure beauty and serenity. I just knew I was forgiven. I was unbelievably happy. Oh, the joy of knowing Jesus. Oh, that today you would say yes to Jesus and you would follow him.